Hi everyone, welcome to the Understand the Bible podcast. In the sermon today, we're going to be looking at Micah chapter 5, continuing our series on Micah. And today we're looking at the question of what God's salvation actually looks like. Salvation in the world often looks at uh, weapons and violence, but God's salvation is very different from that. And what does it really mean? Just to remind you once again that if you'd like to support Understand the Bible, don't forget to give the podcast a rating, maybe a review, as that would help other people to find the podcast. Also, there are other ways of supporting Understand the Bible, and the link is down below in the description if you'd like to see the page. And also, there is more content available on the YouTube channel. Uh, I'm currently doing a series called Firm Foundations, and this week we were looking at how God is unchangeable. And that is content which is only available on video on YouTube, not on the podcast. So if you into YouTube, do have a look at that as well. Thanks so much, everyone. I hope this sermon is a blessing to you, and I'll see you again soon. Well, salvation is, um, you sometimes see or hear that word in um, films or, or TV or uh, things like that, don't you? You know, that term salvation is sometimes, or at least the, the idea is there in, in films. But usually in, in the, the film industry, it involves guns and violence and armies or something like that, doesn't it? you know, Superman, oh, you saved me, Superman, and, you know, because he's got rid of all the bad guys. That kind of thing um, happens. And that is the way, I think, that the world thinks about salvation, thinks about it uh, very often in terms of either military terms or, you know, just being more powerful and stronger than the bad guys. And that's the way that the, the world often thinks about it. But in God's, God's ways, salvation looks different. God's ways are different from our ways. And this chapter here, Micah chapter 5, is a picture of what salvation looks like. And I think this is a really helpful um, reminder to us, uh, teaching us about what salvation looks like according to God's ways. Now, there's an awful lot here. And we won't have time to go through every single bit of it. I've been really struck by that. Um, there's so much you could draw out from this. So we're just going to go through it quite briefly. Um, but this is, it starts out, Micah chapter 5, by saying, Marshal your troops for a siege is laid against us. I think this is, with what Micah goes on to talk about the Assyrians, this is, I believe, the moment when the Assyrians were laying siege to Jerusalem which was at 701 BC. King Sennacherib was laying siege to Jerusalem, and we'll come back to that uh, at the end. But this is, these are events which are described in the book of two kings, when King Hezekiah was the king of, um, of Judah. And um, uh, it says, they will strike Israel's ruler on the cheek with a rod, which is, which is what happened, uh, in a sense, that they did come and they did take many of the cities. Um, but as to what actually happened, I'll leave you in suspense um, for a moment until the end. Um, but, he says there, verse 2, But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you were small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Now this is obviously a, a verse which is read 
often at Christmas time, isn't it? It's if we have the, you know, the, remember the, um, the lessons and carols uh, service that we had before Christmas, Christmas Eve, usually this verse comes out and someone will stand up and read this verse, which tells us that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. And of course, we all know who the Messiah is, who it's referring to. Um, and I think it is significant, though, it says, um, though you were small among the clans of Judah, Although uh, Bethlehem was just a small and insignificant sort of a place, that was the very place that God had chosen for the, the ruler to come from, who would be the, his, his chosen king. And that's the way that God operates. That's the way that God works. So this is what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 27 to 29. Uh, God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. That's the way that God works. He chooses the, the nobodies, the people from lowly backgrounds, the people from places that are not considered significant in order to accomplish his purposes. And that is what God says, uh, that's what, uh, through Micah, that he's going to do with the Messiah, the one who would redeem his people. So this is typical God, if you like, the way that he works. Uh, and then he goes on, verses uh, three, uh, three to six, he says, um, therefore Israel will be abandoned till the time when she who is in labour bears a son. If you remember back to last week, that that metaphor of being in labour, being in the pains of childbirth, was, uh, was used back in chapter 4. In verses 9 and 10, he says, um, Has your ruler perished that pain seizes you like that of a woman in labour? Chapter 4, verse 9. So it's picking up on that same image as well. And, um, and it describes then, Micah describes, what this... Uh, son will be like. Uh, he says, he will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, and they will live securely. Uh, he will be our peace when the Assyrians invade our land. Um, he will deliver us from the Assyrians. So this promised son is, uh, to put it all together, is a shepherd who will also be a ruler, be a king. Uh, he will bring peace and he will deliver uh, God's people. That's what we know about this, this psalm. A shepherd king in God's strength to defeat God's enemies and bring peace to God's people. That is what it says about this king. And then uh, Micah goes on. Uh, he talks about the remnant, verse, uh, verse 7 there. The remnant of Jacob will be in the midst of many peoples, like dew and, and like showers, on the grass and the the dew and the showers they're often used as a, a description of God's blessing that's often the, a picture that God uh, uses in the prophets to talk about his blessing and it says verses 8 and 9 he will be like a, a lion um, and uh, verse 9 your hand will be lifted up in triumph over your enemies all your foes will be destroyed so God's people will be victorious over their enemies in contrast to 
what they are going through at the moment, they will be victorious over their enemies. And that's because God's power is present among his people, which is what it says elsewhere. For example, Psalm 14, verse 5, um, or, or read verse 4 and 5, actually. Um, Do all these evildoers know nothing? They devour my people as though eating bread. They never call on the Lord. But there they are, overwhelmed with dread, for God is present in the company of the righteous. God is present in the company of the righteous. God is present in his people. And that is what Micah is saying. And so then the, this chapter finishes, Micah chapter 5 finishes, and it's the uh, commentator that I was reading saying, I, I like what he said, he said this is the destruction of false confidences. I like that expression, the destruction of false confidences, the things that they trusted in to save them. So he says, I will destroy your horses and demolish your chariots, so that they're kind of military strength. I will destroy the cities and strongholds, you know, the, the, the cities with big walls and everything, to keep out the enemies. I will destroy your witchcraft. You will no longer cast spells. So sort of occult um, practices, which were very common in, in those times. I will destroy your idols and your sacred stones from among you. Um, and Asherah poles as well. So all of the idols which they trusted in to save them and to keep them safe. And this is what uh, Micah is saying, and the Lord is saying through Micah, that he was going to, uh, to get rid of all of those false confidences, the things that they trusted in to save them, all of their, the physical things, the chariots, the horses, as well as the spiritual things, the idols, which they, they would trust to keep them safe. Um, and verse 15, says, I will take vengeance in anger and wrath on the nations that have not obeyed me. So uh, the Lord would punish those who had disobeyed, who turned away from him, who had not sought him. So there's a lot in that passage. Um, there's a huge amount there that we could go through. But let me bring out a few things. Uh, obviously, I'm sure that you've gathered this as we've been going through. But of course, all of this is fulfilled in Jesus Christ, isn't it? That is, all of this is fulfilled in, in Jesus Christ. Think, of course, he was born in Bethlehem, and um, that's something which is very clear from, from what it says uh, in verse 2. Jesus was born in Bethlehem, but he was born in a lowly state, wasn't he? He was laid in a manger. And I know at Christmas time we often, I know I often say, you know, Jesus wasn't born in a stable. It wasn't a, a drafty stable with an open door. You know, that's, that's something which has come kind of from Victorian times, really. Um, but actually, it was a lowly state, wasn't it? He was laid in a place where the, where the animals fed. And that's no place for a king. And that's, that's the whole point, that Jesus was the lowliest of the low. If you think about what he came from, came from the highest heaven to be born and laid in a, a place where the, the animals were feeding. That uh, shows um, Christ's status. And he was uh, a shepherd in God's strength. This is what he said, Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Now, Jesus calls himself the good shepherd. 
He is the one who shepherds his people, as Micah prophesied. Uh, he saves. It says that um, uh, his name will be called Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now, he saves, he rescues from, from sin. He saves from the world and the flesh and the devil. And he saves his people. And he protects his people. And he will one day punish his enemies as well. And that's something that we looked at as we were looking at Revelation um, a few months ago. So this is um, a brief picture of what salvation is like, what Jesus is like. That's what he, he came to do. That's what he is doing. That's what he will do. So what does that mean then about um, uh, the shepherds? He says, um, we will raise against them seven shepherds, even eight commanders. What, what's that talking about? That's because God gives shepherds to the church as shepherds under Christ. And this is what it says, for example, uh, in the book of uh, uh, 1 Peter chapter 5. Um, 1 Peter chapter 5, verses uh, 1, 1 to 4. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings, who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you're willing, as God wants you to be. Not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. So God gives shepherds to his people. So you think, you know, where is a, in, in an army, you might have generals or you might have commanders. In God's salvation plan, he sends shepherds. He sends people who will teach uh, the word of God, who will guide God's people in God's ways. That is part of God's plan, the way that God does things differently to the way that the world expects them to be. What about our weapons for battle? What about our weapons for battle? That too is different. Uh, Ephesians chapter 6 verse 17 says this. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. That's our sword, our weapon for battle. The word of God is now what we battle with. Not with earthly weapons, not with guns or swords or anything like that, but with the word of God. And so there are, many, there are many ways in which we could go through all of, the, all of this, this chapter and talk about how it's fulfilled in all of these things. Um, but let's just think briefly as we close about how this, how this makes a difference to us. I think the, the, the setting of Hezekiah is really significant because Hezekiah was under siege from the Assyrians, from King Sennacherib. The city was surrounded. But what happened was not what you might expect to happen. Let me just read you a little bit from 2 Kings. You can read about it in the 2 Kings chapters 18 and 19. But let me read you a little bit from 2 Kings chapter 19 from verse um, uh, 32 onwards. Uh, Therefore, this is what the Lord says concerning the king of Assyria. So that Hezekiah, they were surrounded, there was a siege against them. 
Hezekiah went to the temple, he prayed to the Lord, he went to Isaiah the prophet, and this is the answer that the Lord gave. He will not enter this city or shoot a marrow here. He will not come before it with shield or build a siege ramp against it. By the way that he came, he will return. He will not enter this city, declares the Lord. I will defend this city and save it for my sake and for the sake of David, my servant. That night, the angel of the Lord went out and put to death 185,000 in the Assyrian camp. When the people got up the next morning, there were all the dead bodies. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, broke camp and withdrew. He returned to Nineveh and stayed there. One day, while he was worshipping in the temple of his god Nisroch, his son Adramelech and Shariza killed him with the sword. They escaped to the land of Ararat, and Esarhaddon, his son, succeeded him as king. So think about that. Think about what that says about salvation. Did salvation come because the Israelites had a great big army? Or because of the, the idols that they bowed down to? No, it was deliverance from the Lord, wasn't it? It was not an earthly deliverance because there was no way on the planet that the people in that city could have saved themselves. Absolutely no way at all. They cried out to the Lord and he delivered them. He rescued them. He saved them from the hand of their enemies by a, a miraculous means, which was more than what they could have imagined. He sent a plague, 185,000 of them, some kind of plague or, or something that, that killed them. And Sennacherib returned and was killed by his own sons. So God took away the threat of Assyria without the people of Israel having to do anything in terms of military. All they did was cry out to the Lord. And I think that is a picture of the salvation in Jesus Christ, which is that the, the, the salvation that we have is not through military means, is not through human means, is not through our own efforts, is only by crying out to the Lord, only by crying out to Jesus. That is the only way that we are saved, not through, not through any human effort, but only through God. And the reason why this is important is because it's so easy, I think, as human beings, we look for salvation in, in all sorts of places, don't we? We have all sorts of false confidences, as um, the phrase puts it, you know, from Micah chapter 5, you know, we have, although we may not have horses and chariots, maybe we think, well, the army, our army will keep us safe, you know, the British army or, or whatever. Or maybe we think, well, our politicians will keep us safe. Or maybe we think, um, well, I'm, I'm doing lots of good things, that will keep me safe. Or anything like that. Only God only Jesus keeps us safe and saves us. It's only through him that we are brought into that, that new creation. It's only through him that we gain access to, to every blessing that God has for us. And it is him alone that we need to trust him. So that's really the message that, uh, of Micah chapter 5, looking at God's salvation, that our hope is in Jesus alone. Our hope is not in any earthly thing, but our hope is in Jesus, our saviour, alone. And our weapon in this world, if we want to defeat the forces of evil in the world, our weapon is this, 
is the word of God. It is the Bible. And the better we know this, the more that we will be able to uh, work against evil in our own lives, in our own hearts, but also evil in the world as we trust in the Lord uh, to help us. I just wanted to finish with a, um, a lovely quote that I read the other day. I've been reading through um, an old book called A Body of Divinity by Thomas Watson. He was a Puritan minister, the, the vicar of um, St. Stephen's Walbrook in London. And this book was published in the sort of mid-1600s. Um, but he was talking about... Um, uh, actually, I can't remember what he was talking about, but I'm just going to read you this quote because I think it's really good. When the hearts of his people... So the, he's answering the question, when is God's deliverance? And he says this. When the hearts of his people are most humble, when their prayers are most fervent, when their faith is strongest, when their forces are weakest, when their enemies are highest, then is the usual time that Christ puts forth his kingly power for their deliverance. And I thought that was a lovely illustration, a lovely quote to finish this, saying that it's not about our own strength or our own power, but in his now, that when we trust in him, when we cry out to him, then deliverance comes. And, and that's true for us as individuals, but it's also true for us, I believe, as a nation. That when we turn to him and look to him, then the problems that we see in the world can be dealt with, but only through him. And let's take a moment to pray as we close. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the deliverance that you bring in Jesus Christ. We thank you that he alone is the Saviour and we pray that you would um, help us to trust in him alone, not to look to human means of salvation and deliverance, but to trust, Lord, that uh, you alone can rescue, that you alone can save and lift us from the grave. And we pray that you would help us to put aside any false confidences that we have and look only to Jesus day by day. We ask this in his name. Amen.